1: Right now, the world seems like it's in utter chaos, and there's so much going on that we have to wonder, what can we possibly do? How can we possibly fix anything? A lot of that comes from reconnecting. A lot of that comes from allowing ourselves to be sacredly active in change and connecting to the information, the concepts, and the heart that is required to really reconnect our culture with nature. I'm really excited to present uh, Osprey Oriel Lake today on 1111 Talk Radio. She's written an amazing book. It's actually a Nautilus Silver Award winner, but it is filled with such beautiful story, in addition to almost poetic writing, but really sacredly active ideas that can help us to truly transform and move in a direction that we are shifting this vital relationship with our natural world in modern civilization. Uprisings for the Earth, reconnecting culture with nature, is the title of the book, and it is a groundbreaking book from artist, author, advocate, Osprey Oriole Lake, who explores how the beauty, vitality, and ecological systems of the natural world can guide and transform human perspective, particularly as we face current environmental crises. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Osprey Oriole Lake to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome, Osprey.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on your show.
1: Absolutely. I um, want to really... Uh, get into good depth on a lot of this information because I feel like there are people out there that are sensing this, that are wanting to make a change, that are wanting to connect, uh, not just uh, with, with other people that are doing work, but reconnect back with the natural world in a way that they sense their own personal power and purpose. And in the beginning of the book, you very clearly state that we have a clear directive right now, and it involves the power of choice. Talk a little bit about that.
2: Yes, um, uh, I was uh, deeply thinking about how this is such an incredible time in history. I really look at it as a crossroads, and when we're looking at our own story here in the United States or when we talk to in, um, indigenous people or people from other countries, I think there's we're all holding this understanding that this is such an amazing time in history. And, uh, you know, whether we're talking about uh, tremendous environmental crises from climate change, to environmental destruction of our forests, to our own sense that we're just not living in a good way with the earth or each other. Uh, We could go on with, you know, issues around water and food shortages um, and, and political unrest that I think we realize we really need to make a shift in how we're living and I think it starts with our own personal choices and then moves out from there, can ripple out into our home circle, to our communities, and connect to a larger global movement of people understanding that the systems that we're working in are, are, are living in are simply not working. And I think that's, you know, sort of the promise of this time. I think there's a lot of peril, but the promise of this time, as we're seeing, you know, the Occupy movement, we're seeing a lot of um, people meeting more spiritually, that people are really saying, you know, We have the power to change how we're living, and this does come down to personal choice, and I think that's something that we're all looking at, um, both individually, as I say, but also as communities.
1: And it seems like a lot of the choices that we've made in the past have brought us to a point where we would need to move into more of an uprising. We would need to really make that conscious choice of what to do next, and, and that requires a lot of courage and so what does what does that role of courage have to do here, and, and what does that look like for someone? Because sometimes when we think about courage, that in itself can scare us
2: and that's a really, that's a really good point. Um, you know I, I love the uh, uh, a statement, a phrase that environmentalist David Orr uses. He said, "Hope is a verb with its leaves rolled up
1: mm-hmm. and I,
2: I just lovely, I think that's really lovely, and it's very appropriate right now because I think action is one of the most powerful amplifiers of hope. And we're seeing this um, across the country now and really around the world and uh, I, I think that it is a time of great courage and I think it takes courage to live in this time I think some of the challenges we, we face are quite daunting whether they're environmental challenges or economic challenges and you know where do we pull our courage from inside of ourselves I think is a really big question and I know for myself a lot of, of um, the work that I do um, it, you know and kind of my day job if you will now, is as the director of the Women's Earth and Climate Caucus, where we deal with, you know, crisis situations quite a bit and urgent matters, um, not just in the U.S., but in other countries. And sometimes people say, oh, it takes so much courage, and I think some of it, too, is just this feeling so compelled to care for the earth and for future generations and for other people who are hurting um, that I think in some ways that's where our courage comes from is when we just start understanding what's going on and what's at stake, it really pulls us to do more than we think is possible. And then, of course, looking to other leaders who have done fabulous work from Uh, Wangari Maathai in Africa or Vandana Shiva in India and some of these leaders that I really look up to and say, wow, you know, they've really had a lot of courage in their life and that really lends a lot of courage to me and can lend a lot of courage to many of us to say, you know, this is a time when we all need to roll up our sleeves and, and get involved and I think that also then lends itself to giving us more and more courage as we say, wow, you know, as I'm doing things, I'm feeling better. I'm feeling like I'm participating in making change. And it encourages all of us to do more. And I I think that's part of it, too, is getting involved. Well, and you
1: talk about feeling better and participating. And I think ultimately that's what each one of us are looking for is to make meaning of why we're here and to have that sense of meaning in in the way we approach things, to to get to such a conscious place that we're connected to something that's really engaging ourselves from a a heart, a mind, a physical perspective, and allowing us to connect with others in the process.
2: Yes, I I think so, you know, kind of um, referring to what you opened the show with, I think a lot of this now also has to do with reconnecting with nature Um, also I think that um, part of changing how we're we're living with each other and with our earth is getting present with the places we live and that connection. And what I mean by that is both the natural history and also the cultural history of, of the regions we live in because I think it's really hard to respect the land and connect with the land and each other in one community when we really don't know, The history and the story of our places, Um, you know, how can we feel truly at home in a place when we don't know its stories? Um, And as an example, um, I really got into delving into this deeply in one of the chapters in my book called Of Redwoods and Whales and Jewel Baskets and Roots, and in it I share my explorations of Mendocino County where I grew up, uh, which is on the northern coast of California, and exploring the beauty And also the ecosystems of the redwoods and then going further into the people who live there the indigenous peoples of the region and it really helped me over many years to feel wow, this is a place I come from and I feel so much more connected and caring about the place because I started really learning about um, the history of of both the ecosystem and the people who live there and I think it changes our perspective about our community and how we feel about ourselves in place when we begin to learn the stories. Um, I love the term eco-literacy, you know, really becoming literate about uh, uh, the plants and animals in the regions that we live. And, and I find that challenging because it's not um, something that, you know, we, we uh, are tuned to when we're so often, including myself, you know, plugged into our computers and our cell phones. It's just so easy to forget about the natural world. And yet, in many ways, this is the most important part about living is being connected to the earth herself. So I'm really exploring how we can revitalize a deeper relationship with our living Earth, um, especially now with over half of the world's population living in urban environments. You know, most people are really disconnected from the Earth, so we actually have to put out some effort to do it.
1: You bring up a lot of points that I want to go a little more deeply into, and I know we just have a minute or so before the break. So I want to first get into um, a little bit of, of, of taking the time to, to become attuned to that living landscape, you talk about that. I loved the wording of that to attune to that living landscape and, and in order to do that, what has to happen?
2: Well, I think one of the things uh, that's, that is really uh, that really touched me is um, some some of your listeners might know about um, the environmentalist Paul Hawken and he cites example that you know whether you talk to children or adults, if you ask them to identify. You know, hundreds and hundreds of brand names or logos from commercial products who have no, no problem identifying to seeing that logo, image saying that's what that is. But if you ask them to walk right outside the front door of their own home and ask them to identify just 10 plant species, most people don't know the names of those plant species. And... That, I think, is some indicator, obviously, of what needs to change, but what's exciting is it's something we can do something about, you know, just literally going outside our own front door and learning the tree that's in our front yard, or if there's a bird singing right outside our window in the morning, what kind of bird is that? Finding out its habitat, its name, and, you know, I think we can also, you know, break this down a little bit to to, to pieces we can actually do something about, and I think one thing we can do is just simply that, learning the plant and animals right in our neighborhood even if we're in a city, that can begin to create a really living uh, relationship with the land. I think that can be very exciting, not just for children, but for adults as well.
1: My guest today is Osprey Oriole Lake. She is the Nautilus Award Silver winner for her book, Uprisings for the Earth, Reconnecting Culture with Nature. She is also the founder of... Women's Earth and Climate Caucus which deals with climate issues nationally and internationally along with additional women's issues uh, you can find out more about Women's Earth and Climate Caucus at www.iwecc.org Uprisings for the Earth creates new vibrant ground that holds within it the keys to finding our way to a meaningful and vital relationship with the natural world and modern civilization Osprey Oriole Lake's unique personal and inspiring perspective on current and historical events makes us proud to be human as we search for self-responsibility and renewal while defying apathy and cynicism. You can connect with Osprey at ospreyorielake.com. O-S-P-R-E-Y-O-R-I-E-L-L-E-L-A-K-E dot com. We'll be right back with Osprey Oriole Lake and Uprisings for the Earth.
0: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444, 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine, order now at www.1111mag.com, 1111mag.com. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
1: My guest today is Osprey Oriel Lake. She is the author of Uprisings for the Earth. It is a wonderful book that really helps you to understand that we have to reconnect to the nature sitting just outside our doorstep and beyond. Whether we seek to renew our inner world or search for solutions to meet our human needs in the outer world, the potential for living in a state of natural good conduct with the earth is greatly magnified through contemplative listening and thoughtful encounters with nature. Osprey L. Aureole Lake calls this special presence with the natural world listening to the big quiet. Welcome back, Osprey. I want to go into some of the stuff that you talked about in the last segment. And before we go more into that, talk about the big quiet.
2: Ah uh, yes, I um, I think that many of us have a a uh, sense that we need to take more time listening to the natural world. Um, everyone I've talked to, uh, you know, and I've taught many classes and I've lectured in many countries in the world. You know, we all share this deep feeling of well-being when we're walking along the ocean or taking a hike in the forest or just sitting in our gardens. And even when we're in the city, if we just take a moment to be quiet within and listen to the deeper quiet of the earth, any way that we can find this time, I think it really brings us into a different alignment with ourselves and the long, long long-standing history we have as a species on earth And when we don't tune into that sense of being with nature, which um, in this way I'm calling the big quiet, that big feeling of the awesome fact of life, and the fact that we're part of this amazing exploration of a living planet that is in this much larger solar system in a huge, vast universe. When we lose touch with that, I think we're very diminished, and we feel not well and not connected to something that is so magnificent called life. And we can get so caught up in our small details of our lives and the woes of every day that... Um, We we really can lose our sense of well-being, and I think this big quiet can not only serve us in the sense of of how we feel about ourselves on a daily basis and our own well-being, but also helps us understand our responsibilities at this time to care for an earth that's really in peril. Um, given how we have been living um, and how we could change our consumption habits, how we can be changing our lifestyles to be really living um, in balance with nature, which we are not right now. And I think it's very hard to understand that shift we need to make until we ourselves are really connected from a deep place in our heart, our spirit, our mind, our emotions to the land herself and really listening at a deep level. So all of those things are really encompassed in the big quiet,
1: now, in the last segment you talked a lot about stories and different symbolism and I know that in in many cultures oftentimes the wisdom really only gets passed down through those types of things. Have we lost some of the storytelling that um that is doing that job and, and do we need to have a resurgence more of that so that we can reconnect To the true essence of our cultures and our landscapes that we have?
2: Yes, absolutely. I I think that storytelling is so important and it is missing Um, and it is being revitalized. I think, you know, there are many different ways it is being revitalized and we need to do it more. Um, I think that, you know, even looking, when we look at stories, we're talking also about our language and our our symbols. And uh, as an example, you know, we often use the word resources. When we talk about our rivers, or our forests or minerals, and I think it really distances us from the fact that um, these resources are our relatives, they are who we live on the planet with and share life with and I think that's really important to look at. So I just want to talk for a moment about language um, because so many old-time cultures and Earth-based peoples, Indigenous peoples, have language and stories that really connects them actually into a healthy relationship with our mother planet. And I want to give a few examples of that, but I wanted just to take a moment to create some contrast because I think we need to understand really what is happening to us in our modern-day construct. Sure. Um, uh, As an example, um, when we look at our societal narrative with the earth, um, I give an example um, in my book uh, um, after the Hurricane Katrina, which happened in New Orleans, as we all know, and surrounding areas. And I came across a magazine advertisement from an insurance agency right after Hurricane Katrina. And it was a full-page ad and just, you know, a normal magazine, and it read in large text, how do you deal with an enemy that has no government, no money trail, and no qualms about killing women and children? And the answer they they wrote in this um, advertisement is, the enemy is Mother Nature. And on August ninth 2005, in the form of Hurricane Katrina, she killed 1,836 people. and And the ad goes on to tell us it's time we started fighting back, meaning fighting back against nature. And it goes on in this way. And I think this is something that we really need to understand. That you know, we you know, obviously there was a lot of factors between her in Hurricane Katrina, including uh, low-income communities living in an area where the levees weren't built properly and uh, climate change. I mean, there's a lot of issues that went into Hurricane Katrina, but to blame. Mother Nature as the enemy is, is a narrative that is is not working for us, obviously, and is, is a, a, not a good way of figuring out how we're going to live in harmony with nature, respect nature's laws. Um, and I could go on and on and collect these different uh, advertisements we see. Um, and I think that we need to understand that not only does our narrative need to change, but our language. Um, and so I did some research into... Uh, many different indigenous languages, and, and there's so many rich and beautiful examples, but one thing that really excited me was how, um, in a lot of indigenous cultures, just the referencing to the months of the year ties people deeply into the beauty of what's happening with the land. For example, I was looking at uh, Czech names um, when I was uh, spending time in Europe, and I found in the old Czech that as an example, uh, when you talk about January, their term is laden, which means ice. And in February, Unar is hibernation time. In March, their term is Bretsen, which is the birch trees having sap. In April is the oak time, they call Duben. And then in May is kvetten, which is the blossoming time or the flowering time. And June is Serven, which is red. And July is sevenetch, which is redder or ripening. And I could go on, but you can, you can hear, actually, the seasons changing, and it goes into, then, um, the time of the harvest and uh, the leaves falling in the autumn. So the actual names of the seasons connect people into the rhythms of nature herself.
1: And, and I get a lot from that, Osprey, too, that, that we're really... If if we use language, if we don't use language just as a means of getting a point across or stating something, but we really start to regard language as art, as, as part of the way that we paint the story, and you even talk about in the book how we need a new kind of aesthetic for deeper inspiration and cultural renewal, one that can keep us steady and strong. Through the bottleneck and, and I think that that includes language and symbols and art and stories and all of those different things so that we really make this passageway that defines things in a different way and and allows our current environmental and society challenges to, to really evolve from where they are
2: uh, absolutely um, you know because we're looking at you know how do we create uh, communities and cities and stories and a narrative that connects us into to nature again, into the natural laws, into living in a balanced way with the earth. And we are going through some harsh times. I think we're going to see more extreme weather events. I think we're going to see some severity in uh, uh, water shortages as a result of climate change and droughts. Um, I know in a lot of places where our organization is working, you know, we're seeing the extreme of too much water or too little of it. We're seeing, you know, huge flooding and then huge droughts. So we are going through a very severe time, and we, we have, you know, work we need to do on the ground. I think it's very important that we do work on the ground, but at the same time we're going to need to have um, stories and language that strengthens us from the inside to carry us through that time. Um, and I'll just share one example of an art project that I am proposing right now. I'm working um, in my local community to see if we can actually um, get this project started. I've been working on it for a while. Mm-hmm. And it's really about connecting the local community to our local watershed. Because I think a lot of times we don't know, you know, where our water comes from, where our energy comes from. And we'll be much better able to care for our water and, um, you know, how we can get local solar energy and so forth like that when we actually learn where our energy and water and our food comes from, our local food shed as well. So um, this one water project I'm working on, I went up into our local watershed here in Marin County which is um, the Mount Tamalpais watershed and I collected a water sample. And then I worked with a water scientist to actually grow a water crystal from this specific region. And uh, it's turned into a beautiful, beautiful, what would look like a snowflake in essence. And took a photograph of that and then eventually rendered that into a very large drawing exactly, exactly replicating that water crystal. And the idea is to have a very large water fountain from that design. So I would take that water crystal and cut it out of a very large sheet of stainless steel, high polish it so it's a reflective surface like water. And this water fountain then shows you what a crystallized form is of the water that you're drinking every day, bringing into your home. You turn on your faucet, and you can actually have an image of the water that you're drinking. And the whole idea of the fountain to have in the center of a town is to connect people to the local watershed and have placards with stories about the watershed where people can see that and connect to the water that they're drinking and in that sense, hopefully care for our watersheds more, water conservation, educate people about who the water keepers are of their area, which organizations are making sure the water's cared for. So I think we can use art and story in a lot of ways to change our relationship to the earth and also change our responsibility to our local regions and how we can care for them.
1: I think that's a beautiful idea. It sounds like a way to really integrate a lot of aspects of our life, so that they come together, but then they are also supporting some of the issues that we have at hand. Uh, Osprey Oriole Lake believes that we have people who are involved in restorative work primarily engaging in two different pathways as a response to global crisis. The first pathway focuses on the immediate and urgent need to stop the destruction of planet and the imperative to help those most in need. Equally important is the second pathway, which involves nothing short of profound individual and societal transformation of consciousness, a new dream for the modern world. My guest today is Osprey Oriel Lake. She is the Nautilus Award winning author of Uprisings for the Earth, Reconnecting Culture with Nature. You can find out more about her at com, or she is also the founder and president of Women's Earth and Climate Caucus, which deals, deals with climate issues. Nationally and internationally, along with women's issues. And you can find out more about that at IWECC.org. We'll be right back with Osprey Aureole Lake.
0: Be visionary, be extraordinary, be the change. This is the 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444, 444. Discovering the Heart and Stepping into Conscious Living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Welcome
1: back. I definitely want you to access the current issue of 1111 Magazine. It's got some wonderful articles, and it really allows you to be supported in a way that you have concepts that are very, very cohesive. Currently, uh, there are some amazing articles with Maureen Moss, Alea Deo, and Nick Ortner, and very soon the next issue will be released, and it is featuring Gary Zukoff along with many others, and it is on stretching out of our skins, really, really powerful issue, especially if you're feeling the tightness around your body, feeling a sense that something inside of you is bigger than the form that holds you and asking you to be more. So definitely access 1111 Magazine, which is gifted freely to humanity. You can go to 1111mag.com and access it for free at any time, getting the current issue along with all archived issues. In addition, while you're there, check out uh, two wonderful new programs We are offering 30 days for free so you can try them out. One is the 1111 Wake Up Call for Busy People, wonderful supportive tools to help you get more reconnected and integrated if you've got too busy a lifestyle to find the time to do it all in. The second one is 1111 Matrix Coaching, a powerfully integrative coaching module system that truly shifts people that want to move and journey quickly to reach their highest and fullest potential. Again, you can connect with all of that at 1111mag.com. My guest today is Osprey Oriole Lake and we are discussing her wonderful book Uprisings for the Earth, Reconnecting Culture with Nature. This is a, a book that really allows yourself to Understand that there's a new kind of kinship with nature that we need to acknowledge. We are re- acknowledging the treasures of urban life and the unique stake that each person has in resolving critical and timely challenges. While avoiding doomsday scenarios, Osprey offers a frank inquiry into the causes that have led to our current global peril, but she provides a deep well of hope and profound insight. Whether you're an agent for social, environmental, or political change, or a lover of natural history and literature, Considered this book required reading for its inspiration, innovation, and hope for the earth and future generations. Welcome back, Osprey. I also wanted to get a little bit into talking about those two choices um, that that you say that we have right now and 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 see you know how do we make those two choices? Are they distinct, one to the other, that we have to make one or the other, or are they choices that we actually can do simultaneously as well?
2: Well, uh, yes, I, I think it is something that uh, we can do simultaneously, and I think many people are actually reaching for that. Um, and, and just to clarify, the two, the two choices I was looking at is, you know, really our dedication to, um, uh, and, and so many of my colleagues who I so so honor working in the field of uh, food sovereignty or climate issues or. Uh, dealing with um, different battles to uh, save different water systems and forests. Um, Just so many people really on the front lines of making sure the Amazon forests don't get flooded through new dams, or colleagues that I have who uh, live up in Canada who are trying to stop the tar sands extractions. Um, The list goes on. So I think that, you know, at this moment we, we are seeing so many... Very, very challenging environmental conditions, uh, we're really diminishing our, the ecosystems, the life systems of our earth, and it really requires that frontline action, um, whether that's, you know, political or advocacy work, um, in different arenas, however people approach that, I think it's, it's really key to be involved. And then the, the other path of, of understanding that the change that we need to go through now, in addition to, uh, really protecting and defending our ecosystems, our bioregions, our forests and rivers, is also, you know, how inside we are also making changes, what our education system is for our children about nature and our ecosystems and different lifestyles and this huge transition that we're all looking at as we're uh, attempting to, um, by force or choice or um, dragging us along, moving from a fossil fuel economy to a new clean energy economy, you know, how we're going to get off fossil fuels. And how are we going to live in a different way with different energy systems? And, um, you know, no one has, you know, the magic bullet, so to speak, about how this is going to happen and how we're going to exactly get from one point to another. But we will, because we will run out of oil at some point. We're heading there. And we are simultaneously not able to continue to emit this many carbon emissions in the atmosphere and survive as a species, let alone all the other species we are affecting. So... I think these things really are going on at the same time, which is, you know, I really hope uh, people will understand that, especially here in the United States, we really need to step up our efforts to be involved um, in in efforts to to protect our environment while simultaneously caring for ourselves and how we are educating ourselves in a different way. And as we're talking about changing our cultural narrative, changing our language, changing um, our education systems, um, having a home garden, I think these are very wide spectrums and that we need to be engaged in them all. Um, and, And the more that we're aware and the more we're educated, we can see what our part is if many times I meet people who are feeling very overwhelmed, and I just like to really encourage people to do the part that is in alignment with them, that inspires them, that, um, that they feel really passionate about. We can't do everything, but we can certainly do the part that we're pulled towards if it's uh, educating children. That matters. Um, if it's teaching yoga because it keeps people well in their bodies so that they can get out there and be involved in their community to help their community, teaching yoga can be a good thing. If it's um, you know, being on the front lines and protecting the Amazon rainforest and being part of a, a large organization that is making sure that that occurs, that's important. So I think if we look at it like an ecosystem, we can see how we plug in at the area we're passionate about, and understand that we can relate whatever we're doing to this larger transformation, I think that can be a direction that we really unify around, and, and can really um, help us move through all these spectrums that you know need to change actually all at the same time.
1: Now, you talk in the book about um, how if we can't get out to nature, that there are ways that we can now try to create. The environments around us, so that we are reconnecting, and I'm talking about people that are in these urban areas. How do they consistently connect with the natural world, and how do we transform our cities?
2: Yes, I mean I think that's that's a you know really great question because as I was mentioning earlier, over half the world's population now lives in urban environments, and so I think it is important that we change our urban environments. Um, I, I I think that you're seeing all across the country people having uh, community gardens spring up. And I think that's so exciting, uh, you know, that we can be gardening. Um, There's some uh, wonderful literature out there and websites about changing our front lawns. You know, many of us have these green lawns right outside our front door. And we're using up a lot of water on having green grass that, Sure, it's beautiful, and who doesn't like that? But it, it's also really a luxury at this point. I'm not saying people can't have lawns, but uh, there's a whole movement now to, like, dig up your front lawn and grow a garden so that you can have the greenery but also have it be, um, you know, a food source for you. So I think any way we can get involved in getting our hands in the earth, that's a good thing. Um I think there's uh, uh, many different ways we can learn about the parks in our region and, and take time, you know, to, to go for walks in, in the park inside of our cities. Um, there's a whole movement now to put uh, gardens on top of rooftops, which I think is wonderful. So, there's a lot of movement now to what we call greening the city, and I think this is, is very, very healthy. That we, we learn how to take the environment we're in and, and look for those open spaces and see what we can do there and how we can grow things there. Um and at the same time I must say I don't think there's any substitute for actually, you know, taking time in nature. Um and I really encourage people to do that and support a lot of community programs and schools that have field trips where they take the young people out into nature, even if it's you know a half hour, forty-five minute drive out of the city. So there can also be that renewal and a more rural environment, I think that's also really important.
1: My guest today is Osprey Oriole Lake, and we're talking about uprisings for the earth, reconnecting culture with nature. The old Chinese word for cosmos, yuzhou, was understood to mean a kind of great house for human beings while also conveying the meaning of the greater universe, of heaven plus earth. In ancient China, the development of municipalities and villages was interpreted as a city or house of cosmic order, and the purpose of the built environment was to create with skill a harmonious relationship between the universe, the physical land, and the human. Utilizing a holistic, interconnected approach, a city, building, or homestead was consciously oriented to the natural world. Most often, this was accomplished by an orientation with the cardinal directions." The ancient Chinese considered the world to be divided into four quadrants, representing north, south, east, and west, and this is part of what's written in Uprisings for the Earth. It's filled with a lot of amazing information and also some practical tools and ideas of how you can participate in your own reconnection with culture and nature. My guest is Osprey Oriole Lake. The book is the Silver Nautilus Award winner, and you can access more information at ospreyoreolake.com. In addition, Osprey is the founder and president of Women's Earth and Climate Caucus, and they deal with climate issues nationally and internationally along with women's issues. They are... uh, participating in a large upcoming event. You can find out more about that on the website IWECC.org. We'll be right back with Osprey Oreo Lake and Uprisings for the Earth. The
0: Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness have you seen eleven eleven do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life eleven one eleven twenty two thirty three four hundred forty four This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. One of the salient powers of allegorical symbols
1: and ancient myths is that when we take the time to engage them, they are breathing, evolving entities. These creative expressions of our human story are designed to be participatory as we seek to understand our society, the voyage of existence, and our inner life. Each time we allow ourselves to enter the mythopoetic realm in which these stories and symbols reside, they renew themselves according to time and place, and new interpretations emerge. The central truth or lessons of these narratives and symbols are tested and explored by each generation. We have the opportunity to dress the story armature anew in each generation." In this way, the stories and artistic symbols can stay alive with relevance. They can venture off the physical pedestal into our poetic imaginations and there invigorate our passions as we embody their message. The book is Uprisings for the Earth, and the author is Osprey Oriole Lake, and she's teaching us to reconnect culture with nature. This is a wonderful guide to support you in understanding how to take where we are in our world and provide greater meaning and participation in each and every experience so that we can start to shift and change things in a way that it is more supportive to our Earth and more supportive to ourselves. So I have a, a, a really big question for you, Osprey, and that is we have so many different generations. We have so many different perspectives. We've got the young generation that is seems to be completely caught up in all of the fast-paced technology that is continually developing it at just innovative speeds And then we have older generations that have glimpses of stories and and things that they're holding on to from the past, but it's also slightly fading. And then we have a conscious, more conscious generation that seems to be becoming aware that there are issues, there are problems, there are things that we need to do. How do we create a view where we bring all of these different perspectives together and also figure out whether technology is Helping or hurting us, and how to allow it to really help us.
2: Mm, yeah, no, it's a it's a beautiful question, and you know, I think you know, in regard to the technology question, because it is actually a way of looking at, at our generations. I think you know, again, that word balance is is so key here. Where um, I think these technologies, like the internet, and, and our increasing ability to share everything. an eye blink all over the planet is quite extraordinary and it's really shifting um, how we view the world and and what is possible and I think in that sense it's very positive because of the sharing of information the sense of connectivity and the power that that brings and I think where the imbalance comes in is the amount of hours that we see our young people plugged into whether it's the internet or uh, listening to their music on their various devices um, or watching television and I think that's where we become in, in a situation that's dangerous. I mean, again, it's very hard to care for something you know very little about whether that's, you know, your local watershed or your forest or where your food comes from. So, you know, let's say you know, just taking a nature special on television about the ocean. I mean, I'm really glad that there's nature programs on television, but it just can never substitute for actually going to the water and putting your feet into the ocean, smelling the ocean air, and seeing the wildlife there, and that deep emotional, mental, physical, spiritual experience of being connected to the living earth. And so I think this is where the danger comes in—is where you know people are having a virtual reality versus being in this live Earth reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where my caution and red flags comes up—is the lack of balance. Um, and, and how people can start relating only electronically and not actually face-to-face. And I think that these technologies are wonderful, and I love all my devices and how they're helping me do the work that I'm doing and connect with others around the world and, and what it's doing for social movements. It's it's fabulous, but I think that we need to reconsider balance, and, and that's where where maybe some of the elders can help the youth understand that, you know, there needs to also be real-life experiences that are, are not connected to to uh, technologies, high-level technologies. So I think that that's one thing and your, your question also brings something else to mind which is, um, you know, this concept that many Indigenous people have of the idea of long-term care, uh, something that they call um, the seventh generation and this idea has really moved me. It's um, very profound, and I know in indigenous culture, it's very embedded in their daily lives. You know, this decision-making process where you actually think, you know, what are we doing now as a society and culture, um, people who are leaders, how will this affect the seventh generation, really looking out into the future as a way of understanding what we're doing today. It's a way of seeing life in this long arc of time and our survival and thriving as a species in respect and in concert to other species. Over a long period of time, um, and that's something that I would really love to see uh, brought forth in our modern-day civilization. More with decision makers is this longer understanding of connections of generations.
1: Well, and it certainly seems that that you're doing your part. Uh, definitely a profound purpose, especially in creating women's Earth and climate. Caucus. And I'd like to let people know a little bit more about what that is and also um, the large event that's going to be taking place.
2: Thank you. Yeah, um, the Women's Earth and Climate Caucus is uh, based in the San Francisco Bay Area. and What we're really seeing is that there's a lot of solutions out there that we know to a lot of our environmental crises, and what a lot of experts are telling us is you know we have the solar the wind the geothermal power to make these changes off as of a fossil fuel economy to a clean energy economy and many things that we know we need to transition but the collective will isn't there and what we 're really advocating for in our organization is that we think men and women need to work together and we very much think that's a good thing but there 's a need right now for the voice of the feminine the voice of women to come together and stand up and speak out for future generations and care for the earth. And women have a long history of this, from the Chipko movement in India protecting the trees to uh, the peace movement in Liberia that was uh, really held up by women bringing the peace there. Um, In the U.S. here, the suffrage movement. Um, When we look at what really stopped uh, nuclear testing in the United States, it was women's groups. So we're really feeling um, in our organization that it's so important now to bring the collective voice of women together around especially the climate issue and that's something we're very involved in and also supporting women in other countries because we're finding statistically that women are really on the front lines of climate change being the ones most negatively impacted by these environmental conditions and so we really feel that it's important to women in other countries as well. Um, And I could go on and on statistically about why women have a key leverage point, but I can let um, listeners really go to the website to find out exactly why women actually um, have the power to make change right now, why that's in our hands. Um, But coming up, um, there is the United Nations Rio Plus 20 Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and there'll be you know, people meeting from all over the world to discuss these issues of sustainable development and really how we're going to move forward as a world people. And I think it's a very important opportunity for people to to tune in and to to really hear what countries around the world are suggesting as a way we move forward. And I think it's um, important. It's something we can, you know, think, oh, those are just, you know, Uh, political processes that the U.N. is involved in, and they have nothing to do with me. So I'm hoping that some people will, you know, visit our website and and take a chance to kind of have a window, a way into viewing some of these international negotiations and understand that we really have a voice in these matters and um, how we can go about uh, really supporting... Uh, not just women, but people around the world, especially in developing countries, who are you know, already fe- feeling the deep effects of a lot of these extreme weather events and what we can do to support them and really make good decisions at this time.
1: That's absolutely fantastic. And that website is www.iwecc.org. Thank you so much, Osprey, for being on the show. I really appreciate the conversation and the work that you're doing in the world. The book is entitled Uprisings for the Earth, Reconnecting Culture with Nature. Again, the author is Osprey Oriel Lake, and you can get connected with Osprey at her website, ospreyoreallake.com. We need to make a stand for protecting our earth and to voice her stories and needs. Even if we're not understood at first or are thwarted in our efforts, it is one of the most important things we can do as individuals of courage and compassion. There are a 100,000 ways to do this, and each person can find his or her own way that stirs personal passion. From water justice campaigns to watershed restoration projects, from education to the arts, each voice is a rivulet adding to the river of a necessary life-sustaining power and momentum capable of changing force of our human relationship to water. These are words written by Osprey in her book, Uprisings for the Earth, Reconnecting Culture with Nature. Next week we have Kayla Ambrose and we're going to be talking about the aura and how to understand the various energy bodies of our system so i look forward to you joining me access the free 1111 magazine anytime go back and listen to all archived issues of 1111 talk radio available for you and if you'd like to have the additional coaching for free go to 1111mag.com until next week i'm simran singh be well
0: thank you for stepping into the doorway of conscious choice The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life?